Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast, your source for policy rants and raves from Tech Freedom, your Washington, D.C. advocate for the freedom to tinker and innovate. I'm Evan Schwartz-Trauber, your host. On today's show, email privacy. Just how private are your emails and other electronic communications? The answer might surprise you. Joining me in our D.C. studio to discuss this is Chris Calabrese, Vice President for Policy at the Center for Democracy and Technology, a nonprofit that champions online civil liberties and human rights. He is also the leader of the Digital Due Process Coalition, which is dedicated to reforming email privacy. Chris, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. So, Chris, the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution says law enforcement can't read your emails without a warrant. So why are we even having this conversation? (laughs) Um, Well, you know, it's funny. The Fourth Amendment to the Constitution obviously didn't contemplate email. Um, but it, it is an incredibly forward-looking document that, they, that you know, understands that our papers and effects need to be protected from the government. Right. So you would think that would be the beginning and the end of the discussion. Um, unfortunately, a quirk in the way that we deliver emails today means that the, the constitutional status of our emails is actually very uncertain. Ah. And so what I mean by that is when we get emails, we usually get them through Google or Yahoo or another service. And those third parties actually store their, the, your email on their own computers. Mm-hmm. So if the email was on your computer, ironically, there would be no question that it was protected by the Fourth Amendment. However, because it's stored on Google's computers, there are some that argue in the government that those emails should actually be accessible at a much lower standard than the Constitution would hold. And that's actually what existing statutes that are really out of date say. Right. So let's get into that bill. Uh, Listeners might be surprised to know that the law that governs their email privacy was written and enacted in 1986, which is quite a long time ago when you think about how technology has advanced. And it's how is it outdated and why is it now irrelevant? Yeah, it's amazing that we are still governed by 1986 laws when it comes to to something that's, you know, that comes to the Internet, something that, you know, dates all the way back to, you know, the 1990s. Right. Um, So the problem we have today is that um, emails are actually only protected by a warrant under the statute for the first 180 days. And that was because in 1986, Congress wasn't really sure whether an email was more like a phone call or a letter. So they said, okay, well, we'll give it protection for a little while, but we figure nobody's going to hold on to these things for very long. And if it sits on a server for longer than 180 days, it's probably discarded material and you don't really have a privacy interest in it. Well, fast forward to today when all of the most interesting and exciting emails are much older than that. And in fact, some of us have email records that go back a decade. Yeah. And all of that under the current law is accessible with a subpoena, which is basically just a letter from a prosecutor. Right. So there's no warrant requirement if it's older than 180 days. A subpoena is much easier to get than a warrant in many ways. And your coalition would argue, why should an email that is 180 days old have any less of a constitutional protection than one that you just opened today? It doesn't seem to make sense, but... In 1986, no one knew that we were going to be archiving our emails and storing them indefinitely and getting a bunch of free storage. And uh, what other types of communications are failed to 
or is this sure. law failing to protect? It's not just email, right? That's exactly right. I mean, one of the things that, uh, you know, email is the, is the quintessential example, of course, but we store so much, pri so many private communications today with third parties, right? So it's our private social networking posts. It's our photographs. It's our texts, if they're stored longer than 180 days. It's basically any communication that we don't make public. And if you think about, I mean, it's the books that you read. It's, it's really everything that you have in your, you know, digital home. And we really, really think that's the basis of this, right? Your electronic home, your digital home should have the same protection as your, your own home, your physical location. Right. There's, there shouldn't be a difference in my constitutional rights, whether I store papers in my desk or whether I upload some Microsoft Word documents to the cloud. And one of the other issues with this law is that data that's improperly obtained without a warrant can still be used in court. That's correct. That's correct. One of the things that's very strange about the statute is that unlike the U.S. Constitution, which has what's called a suppression remedy, so if you do something illegal, the Constitution, if the law enforcement does something illegal in collecting your information, the Constitution says that you, they can't use that in court. Right. Well, that's a, that has to be, that protection has to be enshrined in statute if, it, if we're not talking about a constitutional issue. And so in this case, there is no suppression remedy for electronic communications. So they can be used without, not in court. And, Ironically, not just does that mean that they can use illegally obtained information about you, but it means that judges don't really have a lot of opportunities to interpret this out-of-date law. So it's really confusing both for law enforcement and for an ordinary citizen trying to understand their rights. So it's clear that just by virtue of being written in 1986, ECPA, the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, is woefully out-of-date. And there is a remedy to this. It's called the Email Privacy Act. Tell us about this bill. Sure. I mean, the Email Privacy Act is really, really simple. All it says is you need a warrant to read my private communications. That's it. That's what Basically, the Fourth Amendment says. That's too, what right? the Fourth Amendment yeah. says. I mean, we're saying no matter what they are, whether it's emails or private social networking posts or photos, it's, it's just get a warrant. And Ironically, this is what law enforcement is largely doing now. I mean, the FBI director has testified that they wouldn't do anything different if this bill passed. FBI agents are getting warrants now. Um, the bill is enormously popular. It has more than 300 co-sponsors in the House of Representatives, more than 20 co-sponsors in the Senate, bi fully bipartisan, a majority of Republicans and a majority of Democrats all support the bill. So it's, it's something that it's common sense and it, it really should pass easily. Right. So it, the bill is, has overwhelming support. The FBI says it wouldn't even change its practices. Maybe a lot of local police departments share that opinion that whatever they're doing now with warrants wouldn't change. So that begs the obvious question, why is such a popular bill with such bipartisan support not moving? What's, go <laughs> what's going on? Well, you know, ironically, the, the real problem and the reason that this bill is being blocked is because civil agencies wouldn't be able to read your email if the bill passed. Right now, arguably, they can't already. I mean, we to, to sort of take a step back and understand the way this has worked, civil agencies, under the way the statute is written now, can get a subpoena. 
so they can send that like order that a prosecutor wants and you know send it to a third party and try to get the content of communication right and when you say civil agencies that includes like the federal things trade like, commission sorry yeah things yeah. like the federal trade commission the irs anyone who's investigating not criminal law but civil violations right. of the law and so those civil agencies say well we don't want you to change this law because then we won't be able to get the contents of these communications you know and that's crazy to us because I mean, we're, we're basically, what they basically want is to have more power to investigate you for a civil violation of the tax law than the FBI would have to investigate you for terrorism. And that's that kind of, that's a crazy carve out. And, but they've been blocking the bill because they want that carve out. And, uh, and ironically, the, you know, the bill has, has not been able to, to overcome that opposition, even though there's been lots of people who believe that, you know, the FTC and the IRS have plenty of power now. They can always go directly to you and investigate you. They can always go directly to the people who you communicate with. If you're employed, they can go to your employer and look at your work email. There's a lot of things that they can do now to investigate fraud. And, and uh, certainly they can get order from a judge, you know, holding you in contempt if you don't. But they say that that power isn't sufficient, and instead they want some kind of special carve-out. Right, so you're, you're framing it as them asking for special power. Their counter-argument, and I talked to someone recently from the Department of Justice about this, and his framing is very different. He says, we're totally fine with this bill, we agree the 180-day rule is completely silly, but what he would say is that they, they have subpoena power now for physical goods like a letter or mm -hmm. you know your files and their argument is that the email privacy act ECPA reform would actually give special privilege to digital goods that physical goods don't have so they're saying your emails now mm -hmm. would have some sort of special constitutional protection that a letter in your desk does not have what's your response to that framing you know i think it's really unfortunate because it it, it tries to to create a lower standard for digital goods than for physical goods. I mean, the reality is that you can say that you have subpoena power, but you certainly don't have the authority to walk into my house and seize those things right. with a subpoena. You have the ability to get a warrant and do that if you want to. If you get a subpoena now for a letter in your desk drawer, what happens is you get to go to the judge and you get to challenge that subpoena. You get to say, you can't read this. This is a letter between me and my lawyer, for example. What they want instead is to be able to go directly to a third party. It's almost as if they went to my landlord and said, here's a subpoena. We want to open his, his door and go like look through the letters. Look, we have a subpoena. It doesn't work like that now. And in fact, we have to say that, um, nor, for example, could you subpoena the U.S. mail right. and say, oh, well, we know there's a letter going to that person. We have a subpoena to read that letter. No, we all understand that pro communications have to be private. We have to be able to talk about um, things, you know, complain about the government or um, organize a protest without worrying that the government's listening in. And that's why we have judges protecting us from people accessing communications without a warrant. Right. So the, the civil agencies say that not having, since they don't have warrant authority, because warrants usually have to do with criminal cases mm -hmm. and civil cases require subpoena, that this bill would somehow remove their subpoena authority and would make it harder for them to do their jobs 
Is there something to that? I don't think there is. Um, you know, there isn't, there is, not to complicate this too much, but there is actually some small court guidance on this. There is a, a federal circuit court that said that, no, emails really should be protected by the Constitution. It's not enshrined in statute, but it's something that they believe is, you know, at least one federal circuit court has said should be the, the right answer. Right. And, you know, many major companies follow that rule right now and say, you, you need to have a warrant. And ironically, the civil agencies seem to be following it. They admitted in congressional testimony a few weeks ago that they have never sought email with a warrant. You know, they have never sought email from a third party in the five years since that court case came down. So essentially, they're saying this is a really critical power, but we've never sought to exercise it in uh -huh. five years, even though under the statute we have the authority to do so. Yeah, and a lot of privacy advocates might argue, I don't want the IRS being able to read any email I have just by getting a subpoena. Maybe they shouldn't have subpoena authority in the first place. There, and, you know, what, no matter how you feel about it, it's important that, you know, the, the validity of subpoenas generally, it's important to understand these are really broad tools. So a subpoena allows you to get anything that's relevant to an investigation. So you can imagine how broad that is. Yeah. It doesn't have to be evidence of a crime, it just can be relevant. And relevant to a civil violation. If you think about how many things are potential, not criminal, but civil uh, violations of the law. So I probably committed some civil violations on my way to work today. You know, if you <laughs> fill out, you, you might have, because if you <laughs> fill out your taxes wrong, for example, just yeah. say you you know, you just made a, you made a mistake or the IRS thinks, well, I think you claim that as a business trip, but it was really a, vac a vacation. Yeah. That's enough to say that's relevant to an investigation, a civil proceeding. I want to read your email to find out if you were really working or if you were on vacation. I mean, imagine that kind of broad scope. It would, it would really be limitless government authority to look at your email. And that's just not the right answer. Right. So the civil agencies, they're blocking right now the Email Privacy Act, presumably by putting pressure on members of the House of Representatives and in the Senate to, to delay it because it has such bipartisan support. What's the status of the bill? What are the prospects for this passing? What should listeners be looking out for on the Email Privacy Act? Well, I think listeners, I, I think at this point, a lot of the attention is focused on Chairman Robert Goodlatte, who's the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. And this bill is under. And this his, committee is right. this bill is under his jurisdiction, right. and and you know the bill has the support of a majority of the members of the committee. Um, more more than half of the members of the committee are co-sponsors of the bill, so it's really up to the chairman to move the bill, and it's really up to him to explain why he's if he's holding the bill up on behalf of civil agencies. It's important for him to explain why he's doing that. And listeners should really feel free to contact him and reach out and say, hey, Chairman Goodlatte, we'd like you to, to move a bill that helps our privacy. If folks want to do that, they can go to our website, which is digitalforth.org. So that's the word digital, the number four, and then th.org. And they can email their own member of Congress directly, find out if they're a co-sponsor of the bill or not. And they can also email Chairman Goodlatte and ask him why he hasn't pushed to support this bill. And this bill, because it's stalled in the federal government, there's many versions of this bill at mm -hmm. state levels. And some of the states are taking this matter into their own hands since it is a domestic law enforcement issue. Right. The prospects for reform at the local and state level might be easier. 
Can you talk a little bit about some of the efforts that states have been making to reform email privacy? Absolutely. States have really been leaders on this since the, the, the federal government hasn't acted. Um, we saw a bill passed in California last year called the Cal ECPA bill, which enacts this change and uh, among several others, it's actually broader even than this bill because it says that you need a warrant not just to read email, but also to do to track someone's location using their cell phone, for example. It's a really a strong privacy bill. We also saw an email privacy bill passed in Texas a couple of years ago. And we now have bills filed in a number of other states, including Massachusetts, Minnesota, uh, New Mexico, New York, and Virginia, oh, and New Hampshire as well. So hopefully those states will soon see email privacy laws, at least for their own state and local law enforcement. Obviously, it wouldn't apply to the FBI, for example. Right. But for their own state and local law enforcement, they would have full warrant protection. And if this federal bill ended up getting signed into law, would that then create basically a universal standard for the whole country so that even if your state doesn't pass ECPA, they'll still, you'll still have those Yes, that's correct. If, if the federal bill passed, it would apply not just to the federal law enforcement, but to all state and local law enforcement as well. And it's important to point out what this bill doesn't do. So yes, it does reform. It's a very important reform, mm -hmm. but it's one facet of surveillance reform. It doesn't, it doesn't fix the geolocation problem. So mm -hmm. a lot of times when people are using their cell phones, even if they have their GPS off, government can simply just find out where, where you've been, what you've been up to. That's it right. It doesn't reform foreign surveillance, which is a big issue that came out of the Snowden disclosures, and it doesn't reform uh, executive surveillance. So this is an important bill, but we have a long way to go to reforming the surveillance state. Yeah, and Evan, you're exactly right. And, and it's... You know, that's one of the things that's so frustrating about this. I mean, CDT has been working on all of the issues that you just described, and they're, they're all things that we're in the center of trying to push for reform. Yeah. But we keep hearing that, like, somehow advocates are being unreasonable, or why do we want all these things? <laughs> and, and, you know, of course, the answer is because we want to support the Constitution and protect our privacy rights. But also, if you look at something like this, we are being eminently reasonable. We're taking a discrete problem, a really out-of-date law. We're taking a common-sense constitutional solution to it, one that local law, one that like federal law enforcement has said that they're okay with. But yet somehow we can't get this even small piece passed. It seems to us that it's others who are being unreasonable, not yeah. us. We're just looking for basic you know, to do the basic beginning of privacy protection. And then we again need to move on to the foreign surveillance and some of these other issues as well. Well, listeners certainly have a lot to look out for <laughs> as the surveillance state is large and in need of reform. That's it for today's show. My guest has been Chris Calabrese. He's the vice president for policy at CDT, the Center for Democracy and Technology. That's a nonprofit that champions online civil liberties and human rights. He's also leading the D Digital Due Process Coalition, DDP for short, which is dedicated to getting the Email Privacy Act over the hump. Find out where your congressman stands on email privacy at digitalforth.org. That's digital4th.org. Chris, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Follow us at Tech Freedom on Twitter or on facebook.com slash techfreedom. Find this podcast in the iTunes store or on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan, nonprofit, tax exempt think tank based in Washington, D.C. To 
learn more about our work in tech policy and for more episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.